science fiction and fantasy writer. I write both kinds here in Washington, D.C. in my spooky turret up here, which is actually filled with comic books now. So I'm just to, a bit to the side from the turret. The first episode of the Tom Doyle series is episode 128. You'll find all of those shows in the show archive. Let's continue on with this series on psychological space opera. So I'm going to go into the reading and uh, just to give the setup. So this is from the very beginning. This has, by the way, this has mature audiences content for anyone who's uh, listening in, not uh, to be... Do not listen at work. <laughs> Do not listen in front of the kids, I would suggest. And there is a frame around this that you get a hint of in the beginning where I have created a character of the writer who intrudes every now and then, someone of indeterminate uh, gender who's writing this stuff during our current times. And so that you'll get that sense from the kind of protest mantra at the beginning. Oh. From Border Crosser. Part one, Crossing Borders. <laughs> in which we enter in medias race and find our heroine on the starship Olympus. Now I am not early in the 21st century. Now I am not early. Now I am not. Now I am. Now is Monday morning, ship time. So I am against the Empire. I like the sound of that. Little glam bitch me against the big, evil, and deathly doll empire of the new systems. The citizens of the new systems don't call themselves an empire, but I do, so fuck them. Which I have, one of them at least. The Imperial Council dozes next to me in my cabin, his sweat still drying from his well and thorough fucking, scratch marks and bruises still fresh and angry on his overly muscled back. The Council's name is famous, but I just call him Council or you. My aversion to names is a minor footnote in my official diagnosis, but it's a fixed star in my synapses, so it matters. Neurolinguistic assholes are always trying to put their words into my brain, and names are where it starts. If they're violating the psych laws, it's not so blatantly that I can rely on others to kill them. I also loathe my own name. Fair is fair. So for the story I've been telling the council, I call myself a countess. I've always believed that I really am a countess. Marvelous how dreams come true. 
Uh, more to the point, a countess is the starring character in the adventure that the easily profiled council wants to have. It starts with a sad, sad tale of my debts and human trafficking. And why would anyone tell such a story if it weren't true? But then the big, brave council gets to rescue the poor aristocrat from slavery, and the grateful aristocrat fucks him, and everyone is as happy for as long as they can stand it. It's the story he's been waiting for his whole life. If someone more intelligent on the ship is checking the available newsphere, they're finding all sorts of supporting background for my fairy tale countess. The data sometimes shows up immediately after I've told the story. One of my employer's many tricks on my behalf. I'd love to know how they do it. But my thoughts veer away from that question, as they are wont to do, because this is my favorite moment, when my lover is a static piece in the larger artwork of my luxury cabin. I've had the rooms decorated for the voyage. My own creations hang next to those of the modern masters, their proper place. I created my art under another identity, as my work doesn't quite fit with my countess persona. I work in human and alien body fluids for my pigments. My paintings are anatomy lessons gone wrong. My palette runs with hungry excess to the red and black, and the mauled portions of my lover's green-hued skin blend well with my art. The council's uniform lies empty like a gold-braided trophy just beyond the reach of my stretching, low-grav long legs. A visual masterpiece, but too quiet. What to do, what to do? The alternatives come into focus. I can fuck him again, continuing to screw out info and pillow talk and other less gentle talk and acts. I can kill him. So many ways, so little time. I can suborn him to another service. Who for again? Ah, yes, the League. The League is the biggest power in the trafficking of humans and other sentients. No doubt about it. It's Monday, and I'm allied with the Parahumanoid League. B, kill. C, recruit. Or D, all of the above. I've done it before. He may deserve it. What to do? I light a cigarette. It's an expensive habit. New lungs aren't cheap, but neither are all the other body parts that I've worn through. Business expenses. I am ever ambivalent about the raw meat of my body. If my employers desire my expertise, they have to pay for the joyous collateral damage to my flesh. Yay. What to do? I don't want to decide. I don't have to decide. No one can make me decide. I will see what happens when he wakes up. I will wake him up. Now, I wake the council with a kiss. He returns it sloppy wet like some enormous dog. You will come home with me, Countess. His questions sound like orders. You have conquered me. I hold him tightly, trembling like desire and fear. The Imperials love melodrama. After this voyage, 
you will come home with me? He repeats his imperative, now more a question, now more a doubt. I can't. I turn my face away as if to hide a strong emotion. I've told you, the League, my person is forfeit. I must give myself to them before the voyage ends. Those inhuman bastards. I'll pay your bond. I make my eyes water, my voice quaver. One billion unicred. Absurd amount. I'm worth it, but if he has any spine, he'll question it. He doesn't question. We can leave before the conference in my shuttle. But the conference, the League, what will happen? He holds a salty finger to my lips. I don't care. Love is more important. Yes, it is. What a wonderful man he is. Just his neoclassical title makes me swoon, and his representing all those long, enormous ships from the most militant part of the human diaspora. Well, what woman wouldn't surrender to that? A shame it won't last. They always have to go in the end. We'll leave on Saturday, he says. We'll meet at my quarters. I'm afraid. The council touches my face, wiping a tear aside. I'll save you. On Saturday, we'll be free. Section break. Once upon a time, there was a stupid little girl named Robin Owen. Robin preferred living in a shithole apartment on Earth and flitting about the planet rather than studying classics at her off-world Altwat College. She certainly couldn't return to her manipulative Martian parents. Some doctor of theirs had tagged Robin with an official diagnosis. Borderline personality disorder, post-World War III definition, with severe emotional amnesia component and very strong antisocial tendencies. This meant she could change her mind about people quickly and violently, and then change her mind again. Robin knew this was true, but she resented the imposition of someone else's definitions on her psyche. It was the least of her parents' sins, so she kicked the dust of the family estate off her boots forever. Grandma set up a nice trust fund, and though the family lawyers tried to keep as much of it from Robin as they could, thousands of credits still leaked out. Robin sometimes missed her nanny, though. Nanny had never lied like Robin's parents, and she had somehow made the oldest bits of Earth history come alive in the cold isolation of the Owens Martian compound. Robin did find amidst the fascist klepto-oligarchies and neo-fun theocracies that still throve on humanity's homeworld. Living and traveling alone meant that she was the center of gravity for all kinds of people and things to spin around and fall into. She had her own stage for an always changing, always appreciative audience that hungered for color in the ambient beige oppression. Being alone, Robin could be a virgin for her body-fluid art. An artist needed a room of her own, even if it was a shithole. Alone, Robin could fuck her way through all the genders, human and alien, new ones discovered every day. 
The only universal was that she preferred them young, at the very threshold of adulthood, before skin, scales, and shells thickened and made them less vulnerable, before regen treatments made them fake. She often fell in love and hate. Others often fell in love and hate with her, but that wasn't her problem. It was all their own fault. Alone, Robin could sample every drug. She had a thing for the new opioids in particular. Robin's thing for the opioids got a little out of hand. When they found her, she couldn't tell them whether she had deliberately or accidentally OD'd, or maybe that charming boy had tried to kill her. What did it matter anyway? So that's it for uh, this opening section of uh, Border Crosser. Yeah, right. She then goes on to a party, and she's already switched allegiances and such, and now then she'll be seeking the League and dissing the Council, but you get a good sense of what the character is about, I hope, from this yeah. beginning. And, and if, you, if you're not a fan of the beginning, quite frankly, I wouldn't <laughs> go any further, because it's a lot more of the same as you go along in terms of the, uh, the content. Nice. One of the other things I was thinking about when I read this is... I, not the comedy part of what I'm about to say. So, the, so Austin Powers and the Sex Kittens, all that, all that kind of, a little bit of that without the comedy part, but more uh, straight, I suppose, and dramatic. Well, that's absolutely what um, Jerry Cornelius was. And uh, back in the day, take a look at his thing in uh, the movie version of the final program. He is dressed like... Austin Powers. Okay. And the sort of the sexuality, all of it, is very in that mode. And so that uh, was a definite inspiration. And so, um, yeah, it's it's appropriate to see Austin Powers because the roots of Austin Powers in the kind of spy-fi of the <laughs> spy 60s is definitely, <laughs> it's definitely in there. That's another thing that went into the DNA of this, I think. Oh, cool. However you found sci-fi thoughts, be it iTunes, Stitcher, or any of the other podcast aggregation services, if you've enjoyed the show, go ahead and do us a favor. Go to wherever you get this podcast and leave us a review, even clicking a few stars. And this will help out the show in many ways. So check out the show notes. The show notes are will show right up there in your podcast player. And you can just tap on links that are set up. So you can go to Tom Doyle's Border Crosser and order copies of that. Or you can see some of his free short stories and audio, including a small press award winner called The Wizard of Makatawa. And even if you don't have a podcast player, you just need to go back to the website where you found this podcast, and there you'll see the show note text on that web page. Next episode, more Tom Doyle. So American Craftsman versus Border Crosser. What is the... Tell, tell me, are there, are there different kinds of novels? Or are they most of the same? Different in a lot of ways. I actually wrote the manuscript for Border Crosser first. And that, being an extreme 
sort of manuscript, that had a lot of um, issues. And probably, given it was my first novel, it showed some first novel signs at the time. So then I went on. I had it in my head. I was not going to write a whole universe of something until I sold the first volume. So I went on to a different first volume, and I thought, what would be something much more in kind of mainstream and fantasy? Because at the time, science fiction markets were having trouble vis-a-vis fantasy. And I thought, well, I will write something about American magic that much um, more in terms of... uh, the sex component definitely toned down in terms of the violence, much more uh, sort of straightforward military action sort of violence. Things go boom. But a uh, it's action, adventure, in a much more sort of Tom Clancy meets fantasy sort of Game of Thrones. 